All right, hey, Second Chronicles is where we are tonight. Second Chronicles, I don't believe we'll probably finish tonight, but good chance. We could maybe finish tomorrow, next week. Yeah, tomorrow. Second Chronicles, we're in chapter 34. And as we have been discussing and coming up to this point, we're looking at the, the history of the kings of the southern tribes of Judah. And we're, we're, again, we're rapidly approaching the end when judgment will come upon them, judgment that was foretold. We looked at the light, last time the life of Manasseh, King Manasseh, uh, the most wicked king based on you know, what he had done during his time as king that, that Judah had ever seen. And we saw Jeremiah records the words of the Lord that said judgment is coming upon the, the people of Judah because of the sins committed during the time of Manasseh. But he, he goes on, he clarifies, it's the same sin, sin that has been going on since, since God delivered them out of Egypt. I mean, they've never fully followed the Lord. They've had glimpses and times in their history, but it's just been one after another after another of times of falling away and and so we know that the judgment is coming. Manasseh, we saw this amazing turnaround in his life, cried out to the Lord when he reached, the, reached rock bottom, if you would. But again, the, the country had been now reached that tipping point, not the point of no return, if you would. We saw his son Ammon, who ruled for just uh, two years in Jerusalem at the end of chapter 33. And we see one more bright spot, if you would, the last good king. Uh, we're going to look at his life tonight, and that's Josiah. So chapter 34 begins, Josiah, that's the son of Ammon, was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Eight years old when he became king. And again, I, one of the, we'll, we'll highlight a couple of things about that as we move through. But again, eight years old. And you think of, you know, how many of you have children or grandchildren about that age? You know, right in that, that age group. And eight years old becoming king. And the fact is that his father, again, was wicked, did, did not do the right things in the, in the sight of the Lord for, for just a two-year reign. But from his age, from six to eight, he saw his father turn away from the Lord and again lead the children of Judah away from God. His grandfather, we know that he probably got to spend some time with grandpa at the end of his life when he, after he had turned back from the Lord. So maybe some of those lessons had transferred to him and, and learning those things, but eight years old, but here we go. Verse two, he did right in the sight of the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord. Guys, that again, as we've touched on that, as we've gone through and we see that it bears repeating every time because it really doesn't matter who else's sight we're in and we're right in if we're not right in the sight of the Lord. That's the only opinion that really matters. And for you young people that are here tonight, tonight, and that young people, I mean, I, let, me, let me clarify that. For those of you who, as we're going to look at the life of Josiah, he starts at eight years old here. We're going to look at, you know, we'll touch on him in his eighth year, when he's 16, when he's 20 years old. And in that, not if you can remember when you're 20, but if you're 20 and younger in that range, 
And it, we've, we all face this, but especially in your age range, when you're in junior high, in high school, and going off to college, the world is going to try to tell you that there is a better way to look at things, that there is, there is a right way apart from God that, that, is, that is truly the right way to go now. And I'll tell you again, as we look at this, he did right in the sight of the Lord, and that's all that really matters. That is all that truly matters, is to do right in the sight of the Lord. I want to encourage you, all of us, but especially young people, to stay focused on the way of the Lord. We see this, and this is such a great example. Notice, and walked in the ways of his father David. He doesn't mention his father Ammon or his grandfather Manasseh. Goes back to David, again, a man after God's own heart, a man who, as a young man, started following after God and never turned away to idolatry. Yes, he had his, had his failures during his life, but he never turned away from God. And notice it says his father David and did, did not turn aside to the right or to the left. The way of the Lord is found in the word of the Lord. The way of God is found in the word of God. And that it's so important. We'll get to that again tonight too as we continue to go if I ever get out of first, the first couple of verses here. <laughs> but important foundation. The way of God. In the word of God. We have to be in the word of God ourselves to get the truth of God in the way of God. And then not depart from it from the right or the left. Guys, there's ditches on both sides of that road. There's a ditch on the right side and there's a ditch on the left side. The ditch on the right side is you can become legalistic like the Pharisees and add to God's word a whole bunch of things that are not in it. And then the other side of the road, the side of the liberal where a whole lot of people are going today, and that is the, you know, the way of the Sadducees that would be taking away from the word of God. And guys, it's not up to, he didn't vary from it from the right or to the left. He didn't add to it. He didn't take away from it. The word of God, the way of God. And notice it right in the sight of the Lord. Verse three, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he's 16 years old now, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So in the beginning, he was walking in the ways, the things that he understood, but now he's seeking after God. He reaches this point where he wants to fully understand this God and to follow after him with all of his life. And Jeremiah 29, 13, we'll discuss that connection in a moment, but it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God is not out in, to, in this idea of playing some cosmic game of hide and seek. His desire is that we find him. His desire is that we understand his desire for us, his will for us, his way for us. And while he was still a youth, he began to seek after the God of his father, David. In the 12th year, so now he's 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. So in the 12th year of his reign, interesting, just a little note, because we'll reference this a few times. We see a young man here in Josiah, 12th year of his reign, 20 years old. We see this now 16, all of the things that he's doing. Another young man comes onto the scene in the 13th year of Josiah's reign, and that is the prophet Jeremiah. It tells us at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, who we'll be introduced to in a moment, 
of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the reigns of Jehoiakim, so he, he will be around after, after Josiah goes off the scene. But it tells us in verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. A personal knowledge God had of Jeremiah. He laid his hand on Jeremiah, even mentioning before you were consecrated. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Jeremiah's response, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Jeremiah, a very young man, when God calls him. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and, and the Lord said to me, behold, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. We see introduced now in this time, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, that God will use in mighty ways to deliver this message to the children of Judah. And it wasn't a popular message. It was a message of truth, however. And here we see another young man willing to say, okay, God, if, if you, you're promising you're going to be with me, you're going to put your words in my mouth, I am going to step forward and I am going to be obedient to that calling. Now back into our, our study here, Second Chronicles 34, we see now Josiah, 20 years old, they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, the incense altars and the high, that were high above them, he chopped down also the asherim, the carved images, the molten images, he broke in pieces and ground into powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. We've seen before kings, his, his grandpa, great-grandpa, I'm sorry, brought about changes and got rid of idols and all this sort of stuff, but he is going with a vengeance. He has got a, a passion, a zeal for God that has been cultivated since he was eight, and now we see it. He's going out. He's finding everything that he can, any idols that are anywhere that are, not, that are, that are anything contrary to God and grinding them to powder. He does not have a coexist bumper sticker on his chariot. <laughs> he, is there, he is saying there is one true and living God, and everything that comes against that, he is, he is saying we can't tolerate that. We can't just say, well, can't we all just get along? We are, we are, he, is, he has a passion for the truth of God. He's not allowing anything to get mingled into that. We're going to see, again, as we continue through, the, the great heart that is in him. But again, there's no compromise in his, in his passion for the Lord. Verse 5, then he burned the bones of the priests on their, on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. Just a quick note on this. this he, he, goes, he does this to desecrate these altars that were to these foreign pagan gods and all of this wicked idolatry that was going on. But back in 1 Kings chapter 13, if you were with us back then, if not, you can make a, make a note. 
But now behold, there, became a, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. By the way, this is 325 years before what we're reading right in Second Chronicles. While Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. Jeroboam was the, the king of the northern tribes of Israel after Solomon. So we're going all the way back to the kings, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, that came after Solomon. And this man of God cried against Jeroboam, he said, against the altar, by the word of the Lord, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. 325 years, Colin, by name, a man will be named Josiah, and what we just read in verse 5 was prophesied would take place. Takes place, again, God's word, just as it says. Judah and Jerusalem, and again, I, I love the passion and the zeal of this young man. It wasn't just in his neighborhood. It went beyond that. It went outside of Jerusalem. It went outside of Judah, even into Israel. They've already been carried off into captivity, the majority of them, but the remnant that is still there, he goes and he purges the land of Israel as well, the northern tribes. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali in their surrounding ruins. He also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and the carved images into powder and chopped down, notice again, all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Quite, quite it, it moves from, from this desire to follow after God to seeking after him with all that he has to now going out and clearing the, the country of anything that does not honor God. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land of the and the house, he sent Saphan, the son of Azaliah, and Masiah, the official of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. It had fallen in disrepair in the reigns of his father and his grandfather over those years. They came to Hilkiah. Remember Hilkiah, the father of Jeremiah? We just saw that. In Jeremiah, when we read that, he came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So as they're going around and they're purging the countryside, they're finding these, these pockets of the Jewish people that are there. They collect from them monies to take back to use to repair the, the house of God, the temple. Then they gave it into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord used it to restore and repair the house. They in turn gave it to the carpenters and to the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for coupling and they made beams for the houses which, belong, which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin, repairing the, the temple, even bringing in new material when needed. The men did the work faithfully with foremen over them to supervise. Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites, and the sons of Merari, Zechariah, and uh, Meshulam, 
the sons of the Kohathites and the Levites, all who were skillful with musical instruments. So I like that. You got all the skilled workers and the laborers working, and then you got the worship team in the background providing music while you're working. I mean, I love doing stuff out in my garage and in the house, and I love cranking up the worship tunes while I'm doing that. So they're working. They got the worship team going in the background. They were also over the burden bearers and supervised all the men from job to job, and some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Verse 14, when they were bringing out the money which they had brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, Jeremiah's dad, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah responded and said to Saphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I found a Bible in church. And notice, it sounds like he's kind of shocked about that. I found a Bible in church. <laughs> and shocked, but, but excited. And I, I chuckle at that when I hear that too. But you know, I got to be honest. It wasn't all that long ago for me, about 14 years ago, 13, 14 years ago, when I walked into a Calvary Chapel for the first time and the pastor said, take out your Bibles. I was like, you know, that's a really good idea to bring your Bible to church. I don't think I'd ever done that before. And, you know, now as Calvary Chapel, I mean, that's, that's what we do, right? I mean, we, and, and I, I can't imagine, and I love that with my, my parents now. They're, they have a motor home, and they're traveling around through the summer, and they said, we can't, we can't go anywhere, we can't stay the night on a weekend that we don't know there's a Calvary Chapel close by, because we know that we just take our Bibles, we're going to go, and we're going to hear the Word of God taught. And, you know, that is so important, and it's so important in a day and age like today where we are, because, again, the Word of God has been pushed aside so much, even in the so-called church where many people just show up to hear some clever, thought-out, topical message that the pastor sprinkles a couple of you know, screen or verses from the Bible in, and they'll put them up on the screen for you. you know, and uh, We do that here for cross-references, but we encourage everybody every time, take out your Bibles. It is so important that you have your own copy of the Word that you're reading through while I'm reading through it, even on a night like tonight, following through on your own. I encourage. I mean, I, got, I, I take notes all over mine. I'm I'm writing, I'm circling, I'm, the, the, this, this is the living word of God, guys. And if you came here tonight to hear what I have to say, don't ever do that again. <laughs> because if you came here to ha hear what I have to say, I have nothing to say, nothing. I, I pray every night what, what, and every time before, ever since I read that a while ago in Jeremiah, that's my prayer all the time, God put your words in my mouth. Because if it's my words coming out, they're empty. The at best they can do is maybe make you feel good for a very short time. But there's no power in my words. There's power in the word of God. There's life-changing power in the word of God. No wonder he must have been excited. We found, we found the word of God. We found the Bible in church. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphan. It says the, the book of the law, we're going to see this, found the book, the book, the book. We see that, I think it's mentioned nine times through here. We don't know the extent of what that was. It could have included much more than just 
just the book of the law that would have been, you know, the books of Moses could have been much more than that. A lot of the, what we consider the Old Testament was already written at this time, and they had written copies of it. So we don't know all that's included in there. We certainly know some of it, as we'll get to in a moment. But Hilkiah gave the book to Saphan. Then Saphan brought the book to the king and reported further word to the king, saying, everything that was entrusted to your servants, they are doing. We, got it. we did a status check. Everything's going along just as planned. They all have also emptied out the money which was found in the house of the Lord, and they have delivered it into the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. Moreover, Saphan the scribe told the king, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. And Saphan read from it in the presence of the king. Another important thing, hopefully, and I know you, all you good Bible students here on a Wednesday night, what you hold in your hands isn't just something that adorns a coffee table in your, in your home. It's not something that just sits in the corner somewhere as a decoration. Again, it's the living word of God. It does us no good if that's what it is. We don't get anything from the word of God if it's sitting in the room by osmosis or being in the same room as the word of God. We have to open it up, and I have this under, double underlined in mind. He read from it. Again, to, to find it and to hold on to it and to all of that is, is, is meaningless if we're not reading from it. And then what happens next? Allowing it to go through us. It's one thing to go through the word of God. It's another thing to have it go through us. And we see what it does to the king here. He read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And that was an outward sign of brokenness of extreme sorrow when he read, he came under such conviction when he heard the word of God read. And I'm sure that you can relate to what I'm about to say. It does not happen very often that when I spend time in the word of God, in my devotional time in the morning or whatever, that, that something doesn't convict me. That God doesn't speak directly to me about something in my life. And I'll share one of those with you in a moment. Just happened a couple of days ago. But it's, it, it, it goes through us. Yes, the word of God is, is, is life-giving to us and it is encouraging and it is uplifting and there is power and joy in that. But guys, if we don't come away on a pretty regular basis being convicted by the word of God, I would ask you to slow down and pray more as you're going through because God uses his word to mold us and to shape us and to knock some edges off of us. And that's, that's never overly pleasant. It's a process that at the end of it, yes, it's glorious. But there's times when we, I, I'll tell you, where I just have to close and just get on my knees and pray and say, God, do this work in me. I know I am still not where it is that you desire me to be. Or, again, as we'll talk in a moment, he, he hears what is coming, and it breaks him when he hears and he understands what the word of God is truly saying. It says, when he heard it, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah, Ahiakim, the son of Saphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Saphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found. Note this, for great 
is the wrath of the Lord, which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. He understands because of what was read to him that judgment is absolutely certainly coming on Judah. That, it's, that, it, that it is unavoidable based on what God said in his word. And now he's saying, we under, I understand this is coming. Now what, what should we do? It's, it, that, that should always be our question. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm seeing this. You're speaking to my heart. Now what do you want me to do? How, how, what is it that you want me to do going forward from this, with this information? He, he doesn't stay in that spot. He says, okay, I'm convicted. There's something that you've laid on my heart. It has broken me. Now what should we do? And so he sends to inquire for the Lord. Praise God, we don't have to send anyone to inquire for us. We can go directly to him, inquire on our own. But it is always, I always, in, in difficult decisions, encourage you, have godly people in your life that you can say, would you inquire with me? Would you go to the Lord with me in this as we seek the Lord together? And so he sends, go get word for me. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had told went to Hulda. The prophetess, the German prophetess, apparently, Hilda. The, no, just kidding. The wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Just in case you're wondering which Hilda he's talking about. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. It, it, sometimes God's, I, I want to ask him, why all of that extra information? We don't have an answer for that, but that just was going through my head. So they spoke to her regarding this. They seek her out, a godly woman who no doubt, again, speaks for the Lord. And here she says, she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man whom sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants. Even all the curses written in the book, which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah. God is saying through her, I am bringing all the curses that are written in this book. In essence saying, I wasn't joking when I said it. I meant what I said. Because, note verse 25, because they have forsaken me. That's what he said. You forsake me. You turn away from me. There, you follow after me. You serve me. There is blessing for you. But you turn away from me and you go your own way. You forsake me. God said these curses that would be coming upon your enemies will come upon you. And he said, in, in essence, I'm, I wasn't joking when I said that. I wasn't messing around. I don't make idle threats. Because they have burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and it shall not be quenched. It's interesting that it's still happening today. It's still, it's, it's just like this, this common reaction to this idea that, well, judgment hasn't come yet. So that must mean either God wasn't serious or it's not as bad as we thought or just this whole idea. And guys, you can't ever mistake God's, God's patience, his long suffering for, for indifference. 
he's speaking of judgment that is coming to Judah because of that. But we read in 2 Peter, yeah, 2 Peter chapter 3. It says this, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the, from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But by his word, verse 7, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8. But do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. People take that for, for granted, that God in his long suffering and his patience and his kindness and his compassion, that he continues to extend opportunity to repent. It is because of that, his desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, but people look at that and say, well, it's not really happening. God, God's, God, it, it's, it's not really true. Coming with their mocking. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Guess the Bible does talk about global warming. There it is, right there. <laughs> but seriously, the word of God says judgment is coming. On the earth, not just against Judah, but against all of the earth for, for the sin, for turning away from God, for the in-your-face sin of the world against a holy and righteous God. And because he is righteous, he has to judge. It says this, verse 26, but to the king of Judah, notice that, but. I love that. Again, with those, the, the, there, are, there are some great buts in the Bible, and this is one. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his word against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. So your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. When Josiah heard the words and the words of the judgment that was coming, Again, his reaction in his heart. I want to take a moment to look at this because this is, again, where it, it kind of it came to me this week and even before studying today. 
this judgment that was coming, we see that he tore his clothes and he was, he was upset and he was broken over that, but it wasn't just looking out for his own skin. God saw his heart. And it wasn't just for, look, it says in verse 25, when you heard the word against this place and against its inhabitants, his heart was truly broken for the people because he knew that judgment was coming. And his heart, notice, it was tender. It was soft. It was a heart that God could speak to. It was a heart that God could work with. He humbled himself before God when he heard. And then he cries out in prayer to God, and God hears his prayer because he first heard God's voice. He first heard God's word. And he was broken, and he was humble. And again, it wasn't just for him. It wasn't a selfish attitude that he had. And it wasn't just an attitude that he had. It was an attitude also that Jeremiah shared. And this is where, in my personal devotional time this week, I was, I've been reading through Jeremiah. And in chapter 8, it speaks to it speaks of this, that God is speaking of the judgment, the sin and treachery of Judah and the judgment that is coming against Judah. And it says, the Lord speaking, why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. And when I'm reading that, I'm starting to think, you know, I'm thinking of the world that we live in, people that I know holding fast to deceit. They're lied to, but they're holding on to it. They, they're, they're running with that. They refuse to return. I have listened and heard. Spo- they, they speak what is, not, what is not right. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his course like a horse charging into battle. And when we look around us and we see those that are just so defiant against the word of God, so defiant, coming even against Christians and Christianity and the things that we hold dear, charging like a horse into battle, reckless abandon coming against, again, the things of God. Verse 7, my people do not know the ordinance of the Lord. How many of those, even again, so-called Christians have no idea what the word of God says? He says in Hosea 4, 6, they're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They don't know the word of God. Verse 11, they heal the brokenness of my daughter people, speaking of, again, the the leader superficially saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. It's superficial. It's all on the surface. It's all, hey, feel good. I'm okay. You're okay. It's all fine. Yeah, you could just go right on. Keep, you're fine. Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Now, what really truly convicted me is, as you just keep reading, I'd encourage you to even read that whole chapter later. It's Jeremiah 8. But these people, Jeremiah, again, he, he didn't have a popular message. <laughs> the people weren't like, oh, and, and broken and coming in repentance and turning back to God. No, as a matter of fact, they tried to kill him. He was, a, he was a marked man. They hated Jeremiah. They hated his words. They come against him. And I have to confess, there are times when I see these people that are coming against us as Christians and trying to come and all of that. I get, I get angry in my heart towards them. Listen to what it says Jeremiah's heart was towards these people that trying to kill him. 
Verse 20, it says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and they are not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken. I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Jeremiah said, I am broken because I see it. Because of their heart. I understand what's coming. I am broken. And I was challenged in myself with that. And again, you know how I am. I love to share that with you. I don't like to be convicted on my own. Are we truly broken and burdened enough for the people that are around us? Even those who are coming against us. Are we broken and burdened for them as Jeremiah was and as Josiah was? Crying out to God, burdened for them, broken for them. Jeremiah said in his that what really broke his heart, he says, is the harvest is past. When he was writing this, there's no more chance. It's coming. The day is here. Jesus said, still for us guys, the harvest is plentiful. We still have that opportunity. Josiah in his time still had. Jeremiah, when he wrote that, is still a few years down the road from Josiah. Notice, notice it says that you have, you're going to go to your grave in peace. You're not going to see the judgment that's coming. Guys, for us as born-again believers, we're not going to see it either. We're not going to see that judgment. Jesus took the wrath of God, took the judgment, our judgment. He took it upon himself. But we have to be careful that we don't become complacent in that, that we don't take, that we don't take the, our foot off the, the gas, if you would, in that. Josiah didn't. The word comes back to him. Yes, the wrath is coming, but Josiah, you're going you're gonna to go to your grave in peace. You're going, to, you're going to avoid the judgment. You're not going to see it. Notice this in verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people from the greatest to the least. And notice he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. To me, again, I'm challenged by that. I'm not going to face that judgment as a born-again believer. You're not either. But it's not enough for us to get together here on a Wednesday night and just talk about that and worship and praise the Lord for it. Yes, we should do that. But guys, it's up to us to take the word that we know out and to share it in their hearing and to tell them all the words of the Lord. Not the selective ones, not the ones that, you know, again, will tickle their ears, but everything. As we've been studying through Romans, again, the wrath of God reserved against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. They have to know that. They have to know what they need to be saved from. But then we have the glorious good news of the gospel. And it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with, okay, I'm, I'm saved from the judgment to come. I'm going to tell you what's coming so that you can be. But notice verse 31. Then the king stood in the place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. 
And Peter goes on, if you read in 2 Peter 3, because we know this, it should affect the way that we walk, the way that we live. Going forward, that, that, it should, that, that our lives should be markedly different as we walk this out. And he's making, a, he's making a commitment, God, my life is going to be different. My life is going to be fully devoted, even on a greater level than it already is. Never satisfied with where he is, continuing to take those steps of greater obedience following after the Lord. Verse 32, moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the abominations from the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. Now, verse 32 and 33 sound really good on the surface when you read them. He made all who were present to stand with him. He said, I'm going to stand. This is what I'm going to do with all of his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. He's going to serve the Lord. He's going to love God. He's going to love his neighbor. He's going to do everything that God commands him to do. And you are going to stand with me in it. And all the days of his life, they did not turn from following the Lord. They, they did it. Unfortunately, for the vast majority of them, it was simply window dressing. It was simply outward actions to appease a king that was there. Things seemed to be going good. Hey, when we're, when we're around, we're, we'll, yeah, we'll get together on Sabbath. We'll do this whole thing. But it truly wasn't inwardly a change. We see that in Jeremiah. It says in Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen the faith, what faithless Israel did? Speaking of the northern tribes. She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought, after she had done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I, and I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I sent her away and given her a writ of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she went on as the harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and with trees. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me, note here, with all her heart, but rather in deception declares the Lord. We see, he says, in the days of Josiah, they didn't truly, the people didn't truly come back to me with their heart. It was in deception. It was just outward actions. And we've talked of that a lot. And again, on the weekends with Romans, outward ritual is meaningless without inward reality. And that was the case here. This was just outward ritual, standing with a godly man, doing those types of things. Unfortunately, it was not, and God sees right through the charade and sees right to their heart as Jeremiah records it. Chapter 35, again, we continue on with Josiah. Now, he wasn't alone. It wasn't like it was one man and all the rest of them. There, was, there were some, but I, th I find it interesting that notice it says in verse 1, then Josiah celebrated the Passover of the Lord. The whole nation will be involved in the celebration, but I don't think that's just there for, for no reason. Josiah was truly celebrating the Passover. This was, this was truly to honor and worship the Lord. 
and they slaughtered the Passover animals on the 14th day of the first month. He set the priests in their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. He also said to the Levites who taught all the people and who were holy to the Lord. So we see some of the Levites, they were truly devoted to the Lord. He told them, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, built. It will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Now that's interesting. Put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, had built. Isn't that where it was? Yes. So at some point, it's not recorded for us where or when it was removed. Some believe it was during the reign of Manasseh, either he ordered it removed or the priests removed it and hid it because he was going through and wiping out. He's the one who had, as tradition tells us, Isaiah and other prophets and, and killed and murdered and doing away with all the things of the Lord. He, you know, closing up the temple, doing all those types of things. So some believe they hid it. Now he's saying, hey, bring it back out and put it in its place. We don't know. Where is the ark? We don't know. I'm thinking, I guess if you saw the movie, it's in a warehouse somewhere in Germany. But I, I look at that and people that, that spend so much time chasing after those things and following clues and everything. Guys, if God wanted us to know where the ark was, we'd know where the ark was. Um, if, he wanted us, if he wanted us to know where, where Noah's ark is, we'd know where it is. If he wanted us to have these things, we'd have these things. I think for part of the reason why is because he knows us. If the, if the ark was there, we'd, you know, people would be worshiping it. You know, if, and that's true now. Even all these false types of things, pieces, there's the piece of the cross. You'd be amazed at things that, you, that people will tell you you can buy in Israel when you go to Israel. And it, people buy it, and they, it's, it becomes a, an, an item of worship. And God says, you are to worship nothing but me. Anyway, so prepare yourselves by your father's households, verse 4, in your divisions, according to the writings of David. So again, now all of these things have been uncovered, and, it comes, and he understands we haven't celebrated the Passover like we're supposed to. So he goes through, and he keeps, according to the writing, according to the word, according to the writings. We'll see that several times. He keeps going back to the word. We're going to do it right. Moreover, stand in the holy place according to the sections of the fathers, the households of your brethren and lay people, and according to the Levites by division of the father's household. Now slaughter the Passover animals, sanctify yourselves, and prepare for your brethren, and do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Josiah contributed to the lay people, to all who were present, flocks of lambs and young goats, all the Passover offerings numbering 30,000. He contributes. This is what he's giving so that this can be distributed to the people. 3,000 bulls for, for the, the 30,000 for the Passover lambs, 3,000 bulls, no doubt, for, for peace offerings and other type of offerings. These were from the king's possession. His officers also contributed a free will offering to the people, the priests of the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, Jehiel, the, the officials of the house of God, gave to the priests the Passover offerings, 2,600 from the flocks and 300 bulls. Conaniah also and Shemaniah and Nathaniel, his brothers, and Hashabiah and Jael and Jezebad, the officers of the Levites, contributed to the Levites for the Passover offering 5,000 from the flocks and 500 bulls, over 41,000 animals. So the service was prepared and the priests stood at their stations and the Levites by their divisions according to the king's command. 
They slaughtered the Passover animals, and while the priests sprinkled the blood and received that the, the blood received from their hand, the Levites skinned them. Then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the sections of the father's household, the lay people, to present them to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. They did this also with the bulls. So they roasted the Passover animals on the fire according to the ordinance. They boiled the holy things in pots and kettles and pans and carried them speedily to all the lay people. So they're doing all of the process and getting it all distributed to the people so they can go and celebrate the Passover in their homes. Afterwards, they prepared for themselves and for all the priests because of the priests, the sons of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings and the fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared, prepared for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. So they, they're starting helping each other now because the time is getting late so that everyone can go and take part of the celebration. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were also at their stations according to the command of David. Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer, and the gatekeepers at, the, at each gate did not have to depart from their service because the Levites, their brethren, prepared for them. And again, I love that. You do what God's called you to do. We'll take care of this for you. Uh, and just everybody helping each other out. Just this great celebration that's going on. And you can, you can just feel the, the excitement that is going on here and even those that are again just the exterior caught up in in the the celebration so all the service of the lord was prepared on that day to celebrate the passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the lord according to the command of king josiah Thus the sons of Israel who were present celebrated the passover at that time the feast of unleavened bread 7 days there had not been, note this, a Passover like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. It goes back prior, prior to King David, all the way back to Samuel the prophet. Nor had any of the kings of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, his Passover, this Passover was celebrated. So he's 26 now. I mean, here again, this young man and all that was done and accomplished in the early years of his reign. Now we jump forward real quickly. Verse 20, we jump forward 13 years. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to make war at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to engage him. Now we'll get into this a little bit more next time comes into play a little bit again into chapter 36. So we'll hit a little bit more of these details, but we'll cover it real quickly to finish the chapter. Necho, king of Egypt, sent messengers because Josiah now comes out to engage him. Necho sent a messenger to him, said, what do we have to do with each other, O king of Judah? I'm not coming against you today, but against the house, house with which I am at war, and God has ordered me to hurry. Stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me so he will not destroy you. So he's going to battle and we'll fight. Like I said, I'll fill in all the details next week, but he's going to fight the Babylonians who are coming. And so now Josiah takes this as an act of war because he's come in this direction. So he takes a group out to go fight him, even though Necho has no desire to fight with Josiah. And he says, dude, I'm in a hurry. I got something else I got to do. God's told me to go do this. Your God has told me to do this. You stay out. 
Don't just, just go back home. However, Josiah would not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to make war with him, nor did he listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to make war on the plain of Megiddo. The archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servant, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in the second chariot, which he had, and brought him to Jerusalem, where he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah. No doubt they, they must have been close, not only age-wise, but more than likely friends, I would imagine. And all the male and female singers speak about Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And they made them an, an ordinance in, in Israel. Behold, they are also written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his deeds of devotion is written in the law of the Lord and his acts first to last. Behold, they are written in the books, the kings of Israel and Judah. A couple of things just on this last little section it's good to be zealous for God. I want to come back to that again even as, as we close. I mean, here we see a young man on fire for God. But it's important that it's not misguided zeal or that, that it, the zeal gets ahead of, of where we need to be. You know, it, you probably all know people like that. And maybe some of you are like that. You know, that whole ready, fire, aim kind of person. And that's kind of what we see here in Josiah at the end. I mean, he's just, he's passionate for God, but he gets way out of, this is, he had no business being here. This was not what he should have done. Shouldn't have been involved in this at all. And he would have known that had he prayed. He just went off and did that. And one of the things that challenges me in that, guys, is we need to pray even when we're certain we're doing the right thing. As a matter of fact, I should say we should pray, especially if we're certain we're doing the right thing. Because the Bible says we're not to lean on our own understanding. And so often we can say, I know God's got to be behind this. And, and here we see, he stuck his nose where it wasn't supposed to be. And it ended up costing him his life, and he dies and is buried. Well, again, just a, a, great, a great example that doesn't finish well, but a lesson we can even learn even in his death. But um, just, just in closing, a couple of guys, Josiah and Jeremiah, young men. And for you young men, young women that I can see in here that are, that are under 20, <laughs> Cultivate that passion. Cultivate what God places in your heart. Don't let anybody tell you you're too young. Don't let anybody convince you, especially the enemy, that God can't use you. God desires to use you. And I pray, and I would invite every one of the rest of us here tonight to pray that God might raise up another Josiah or a Jeremiah in this fellowship. Saturday nights, as our youth have started to come into, to our, into the church on Saturday nights, be praying for them. Be praying. They're, here, they're over in the youth room tonight. Be praying for them that God would raise up a Josiah or a Jeremiah in our day.
Because again, guys, we don't have a whole lot of time left. There's, I, it, it, the, I, the writing's on the wall, so to speak. It's everywhere around us. And we know the word of God, God's not kidding. He wasn't joking when he said, this wrath is coming. And time is short, so we need to have a burden for those that are lost. But we also need to be praying and encouraging this next generation that is coming up behind us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as born-again believers, we are saved from the wrath that is to come, the judgment, certain judgment that is coming against this world. We are saved because of you, because of what you did for us. Lord, give us a brokenness and a burden for those who don't know you. And Lord, especially even those that, that in our flesh, we find it easy to push back against because of their attitude, because of their charging like a horse into battle. Lord, would you help us to see them for who they are? They're deceived. They're lost. And Lord, if it wasn't for your grace extended to us, we'd be in the same position. So Lord God, give us boldness, give us opportunity, Lord, that we would share the truth, that we wouldn't get comfortable in the truth that we are, that we're saved, but that we would, that we would boldly proclaim the way of salvation to those that are lost. And Lord, we do pray that you would raise up young people, young people that you light a fire in that are unashamed to go to their schools and to proclaim your truth, to, that are unashamed to even take the truth back to a home where there may be just superficial things there. But God, give them a zeal and a passion for you and change the world with them, God. We thank you for your, our time with you tonight in your word. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.